Don't you love the story of Jesus as he's walking around on the earth and as he's doing his work? In the book of John, we know that the message of the whole book of John is all about the gospel. From John chapter 1, clear to the end, John chapter uh, 21 there, Jesus is giving us the message of eternal life. John chapter 1, he says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John chapter 3, we have the wonderful verse that I'm sure all of you can quote by heart. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John chapter 3, Jesus was meeting with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. And because of his situation, he, he came to Jesus by night. I'm guessing he didn't want the other Jewish leaders to know that he was coming to talk to Jesus. But he had some questions, and Jesus, in the course of the conversation, began to talk to Nicodemus, and he told him, you must be born again. And when Nicodemus heard this, of course, he asked the question, well, how, how can I be born again? Can I enter back into my mother's womb? And Jesus, no, no. He said, you must be born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised. Marvel not. But I said, you must be born again. Jesus has this conversation. It's around Passover time, and he's talking with this religious leader. had a lot of questions, and Jesus gives him the gospel. But I love the contrast between John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Our focus is going to be in chapter 4 this morning. I love the contrast between the two different people that Jesus spoke to. And yet Jesus gave the same message and just came at it from two different directions. In John chapter 3, he's speaking to a religious leader, a man who knew the Word of God, a man who lived a clean life as far as outward appearance goes. In John chapter 4, he's speaking to a woman, not a Jewish woman, a Samaritan woman. Not a woman who's had a clean life, but a woman who's lived very wickedly. The Bible tells us she had had five husbands and she was with her sixth man. And yet Jesus still shared the gospel with her as well. In John chapter 4, I think we see a lot about Jesus' motivation for why he did what he did. And it's highlighted for us because of who and where he went. I think motivation is very important. Why you do what you do. Because you could be doing the right thing, supposedly, but if you're doing it for the wrong reason, it's still not the right thing. Because God cares about your actions, but He cares about your heart first. The Bible is very clear when it says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think too many times in the Christian life we can be caught doing the right things, but we're doing them for the wrong reasons, and that's why we don't see the results that we expect to see in the long run. Why do you do what you do? Why did you get up this morning? Why did you choose to come to church today? Why are you tuning in online if you're joining us that way? Why will you go to work tomorrow? We have an election coming up. Why will you choose to vote how you're going to vote? What determines how you spend your time, your money, your influence, whatever it is that you have? What determines it? I think sometimes when we hear those questions, we say, well, what? And I have to get up and go to school tomorrow, right? I had, I had to be at church. Who's going to watch the babies in the nursery if I'm not there? Now, you're not there because you're in here, but... I had to be here to sing the special music. I had to be here to play an instrument. I had to be here because somebody was going to call me and ask me where I was if I wasn't there. Well, I have to 
go to work because I've got to provide for my family. And these are all motivations for why we do what we do. And yet, I believe we see that Jesus lived his life with one purpose, one central purpose, one central focus, one main driving force that pushed him towards whatever he did. I believe in our life as Christians, God has called us to live for the same purpose and the same reason. A lot of people say that they have faith. Well, what is your faith in this morning? If your faith can live without a fresh touch from God, then perhaps your faith is not in God at all. There are many so-called Christians who, I believe in God, and yet they can go years without ever seeming to have any impact of God in their life. If your relationship with God doesn't change who you are in the very most fundamental sense of your being and your choices, your motivations of where you go and what you do and how you spend your time, how you spend your money, then perhaps your faith's not in God at all. God has given us His Word, He's given us His Spirit, and He's given us His promises. I want us to consider this morning what we're doing and why we're doing it. And as we look at this story in John chapter 4, we'll see Jesus' motivation for why He did what He did. I hope that will encourage you and challenge you in your walk with the Lord as well. It is our command to be like Christ, right? To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This story in John chapter 4, if it had not been recorded by John, chances are this story would have been lost to history. We don't even know this woman's name. All we know is where she lived. We know a little bit about her background and some of her bad choices. And I think for a lot of people throughout history, that may be all that they're remembered for. Yeah, yeah, somebody used to live over there. And I remember this one time, the police came to their house. Or you know, we don't, we don't have much memory sometimes of people. And that would be this woman, but for Jesus. When Jesus went to go see this woman, he went to an insignificant place to meet with a woman who would be insignificant but for the gospel. His disciples didn't understand it. The woman at first didn't understand it. The rest of society wouldn't have understood it, but Jesus understood it. He knew what he was doing. He had a purpose and he was working to fulfill it. I want you to follow along with me in verses 1 through 4. We're going to look at this story in a few different chunks this morning. Try to digest what God has for us in understanding our motivation. Because if we're going to have a strong faith foundation, we need to be motivated from that to do what God wants us to do. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, When therefore... The Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Notice verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. This is an interesting verse to me. Because it's really in the narrative. It's just the description of what's going on. But... John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned this for us today to understand that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. What was so important about Samaria? Well, to the culture of the day, if you were a Jew, nothing was important about Samaria. Even to the people in the town of Sychar, this woman was not important to them. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. This morning, I want us to think about that question. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? Here at the beginning of this story in John chapter 4, the question of motivation is brought up. That Jesus needed to go through Samaria. So there was some sort of motivating force that caused him to go through Samaria. What was it? That's what I want us to consider this morning. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? 
And that brings us back to our motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are we as a church doing what we are doing? A couple of weeks ago, we started our starting point class. And by the way, if you didn't make it into that one, we're starting another one here in about a month in November. And we'd love to have you a part of that to learn more about our church and what we believe and where we're going. Maybe you only got to a part of the starting point class and you'd like to get the first couple of sessions in. Each session builds on the next one. But in our starting point class, we talked about our church mission statement, what we believe and where we're going. And I want to share that with you this morning because I think it should be more than just a slide that goes up during a starting point class and then we go back about whatever we were doing in the first place. But rather, it ought to be a a force behind us, an agenda, a purpose, a focus on what we're doing. And it's very simply this, Arise Baptist Church exists to bring glory to God by fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. God has called us to bring glory to Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Revelation 4.11 says that God has created all things and for His pleasure they are and were created. That's why the verse says that God is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. We know that we exist to glorify God. But how do we do that? Well, we believe the Bible is very clear. In the New Testament, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, before He left, He gave His disciples the Great Commission. He told them to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. He told them that all power had been given to Him in heaven and in earth. And He said, Go ye therefore and teach, right? Baptizing them, leading folks to Christ, evangelizing the lost, baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe all things. And He gave us that great promise that He would be with us always even unto the end of the world. God is with us, and He's there to help us to accomplish His great commission. But then He's told us how we're to go about doing that in our attitude. And that's the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And Jesus said, the second is like unto it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. So we exist to bring glory to God by fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. So the question is, are we doing that? If that truly should be our motivation, is that being played out in how we make our choices as a church? And for you as an individual, what is your motivation? Jesus had one. He needed to go through Samaria. This morning, we're going to look at why he needed to do that. I want you to notice, first of all, in this story, that Jesus' methods only make sense because of the gospel. First of all, we know that he went through Samaria. I have a map up here I want to show you. I'll point out some things because it's tough to tell from where you're sitting. On this side, where all these labels are, this is the Mediterranean Sea. Here we have the land of Israel. In the bottom portion of the map, you can see the body of water there. That's the Dead Sea. And up above, the smaller sea, that's the Sea of Galilee. And between those two is the Jordan River. Some of you maybe know your geography in this part of the world. For some of you, say, I've never seen this before in my life. Anybody, this is your first time to see what this part of the map looks like? Oh, we have a very educated crowd. Just a few of you? Okay. For those that don't know, let me explain. Down here in the southern part, we have the land of Judea. This is where the the southern kingdom, right, Judah, was after the kingdom divided. You had the land of Israel divided into the northern ten tribes and the two in the south, Judah and Benjamin. And so right here is the land of Judah. In this land is where we have Jerusalem. It's where we have Bethlehem. It's where a lot of the story of the New Testament took place. That's where Jesus was in John chapter 3. He was preaching and teaching in and around Jerusalem. He had just come from the Jordan River where he'd been baptized by John the Baptist. Then he heads over towards Jerusalem. There's Passover. That's where he meets with Nicodemus. And then if you were noticing in the first few verses I read, after he's been in Jerusalem for a while, 
he starts, a lot of people start trusting in Jesus and his disciples are baptizing them. So he decides to go up to Galilee. Now Galilee on the map is up in the northern portion of the map. Up here, Upper Galilee and Lower Galilee. This is where Cana was located. Do you remember the wedding feast of Cana where Jesus turned the water into wine? That was in Galilee. Up in Galilee is also Capernaum. That's where uh, Lazarus lived and Mary and Martha. You'll read, uh, as you read your New Testament, it's helpful to understand some of the geography involved. In between Judea and Galilee is an area called Samaria. Samaria was the land, a portion of ancient Israel, that was inhabited at this time primarily by the Samaritans. These were Israelites, historically, who had intermarried with the Assyrians. This was an enemy invading army that had come in and had brought their people in and settled them in Israel and caused them to intermarry and have children together. So the Samaritans were not well liked by the rest of Israel because they were considered to be mixed race. And there was a lot of racial prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so often when Jews traveled from, say, Jerusalem or somewhere in Judea up to Galilee, they would cross over the Jordan River and travel through this area that's known as Perea, traveling around Samaria and then cross back over the Jordan River, and that almost doubled the length of their trip. Instead of a three-day journey, it was now more like a six-day journey. But they did this because they did not want to associate with the Samaritans at all. It's sort of like people today who when they're traveling to one part of town say, I'm going to go around, I'm staying on the loop. I'm, I'm not going down into those neighborhoods. I'm not going to that part area because there's areas that you feel unsafe in or areas that you feel less comfortable in. You say, I'm going to avoid this part of town. That's what most of the Jews would do when they were traveling from north to south. But Jesus, going against all of the culture of that day, going against what everybody else would have accepted as norm. I need to go through Samaria. So he's traveling from Judea to Galilee. He says, I'm going through Samaria. And you can't see it from there. But up here you can see the little town called Sychar, which is right near Mount Gerizim. And later in the story, the woman at the well references that mountain as the place where the Samaritans worship. I'm giving you a little Bible history here. But if you go back to your Old Testament, when the kingdom divided, so there was the big split in Israel, those northern tribes, their king, Jeroboam, said, I don't want people going back to Jerusalem to the temple to worship because then they might go join up with the south. So he built a new place of worship in Mount Gerizim. He actually built two places of worship, but one of them was on that mountain. And he did that to keep his people from going back, to, going back to Jerusalem to worship. Of course, over time, now you had two different systems of worship develop. Basically, you had two different religions going on. But Jesus, with all of that culture going on, with all of that geography going on, Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. His methods only make sense because of the gospel. Because no Jew would go through Samaria, no rabbi would go through Samaria, but he went because he had somebody there that needed the gospel. Not only did he go through Samaria, the second thing we notice about his method that only makes sense because of the gospel is that Jesus was speaking to a woman. During that day in that culture for a Jewish teacher rabbi to be talking to a stranger, a woman who was not his wife, this would have been very improper. People would have looked at that and said, what's going on over there? Why is he talking with her? There's something improper going on. So why did Jesus go through Samaria? Because she needed the gospel. Not only did he go through Samaria and speak to a woman, but he did something even worse, if you can believe it. He asked her for a drink. You say, what was so bad about that? If he's thirsty, ask her for a drink. 
according to the Pharisaic rules, to drink from a vessel that belonged to a Samaritan meant that you would be ceremonially unclean. And to be unclean meant you couldn't go in and worship God. You had to go through all this ritual cleansing process to be able to come back into the temple and worship God. It's interesting when you study some of the history and the culture going to this Samaritan woman to make him go to a place where culturally it would not have been normal for him to go. Socially, it would not have been accepted for him to go. And even based on the religion of the day, some would say spiritually it wouldn't have been the right place for him to go. But we'll see more on that in just a minute. Think about this. Why do you do what you do? Why do you go where you go? Why, I was thankful yesterday, I was getting calls from our pastor friends over in Louisiana. They've been helping the last few weeks. As far as we can tell, the roof is still holding, Brother Michael. I'm thankful for that. Thankful for all the men and ladies that have helped over with the work in Louisiana. Why do we go over there? It's hot. They didn't have any power when we first went. They didn't have water in a lot of places. Why did we go? For the gospel. Why do we send missionaries around the world to jungles and deserts and difficult places, uncomfortable places? Why do we do that? The gospel. If Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, then our motivation must be the great salvation that God has given to us and that would cause us to go to the ends of the world, even the difficult places, with the gospel. But I wonder in your life, have you ever thought about that maybe some of the most difficult places might be right across your street? To that family member, co-worker, or friend? Sometimes those can be very difficult for us because of the social pressure. It's not the politically correct thing to talk about. I'm afraid of offending. Perhaps it may be even easier for you to share the gospel with a stranger than with a friend. I think that's true for a lot of people sometimes. So why would Jesus spend time ministering to a person that was an outcast in society? Because of the gospel. Why should we reach out to neighbors, co-workers, those who look good on the outside and those who look like a wreck to everybody else? Why should we do it? The gospel. Why did the woman at the well matter? The gospel. Why would we pick up trash in the ditch in front of our church that other people throw there? Hopefully it's for the gospel. Not just, well, those neighbors always trashing our stuff. So why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? For the gospel. Jesus' methods make sense because of the gospel. But I want you to notice next in this story, His message also makes sense because of the gospel. But it really only makes sense because of the gospel. So Jesus comes to Samaria. He stops at this well near the town of Sychar. This well was a well that Jacob had dug. Jesus comes and He rests there. It's kind of the middle of the day. And then this woman comes out to draw water. Jesus asks her for a drink. And meanwhile, His disciples, they were in town buying lunch. They were buying bread. They were getting something to eat. The woman says to Him, Well, why are you asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. That, that's not normal. Again, Jesus' methods only makes sense because of the gospel. 
I want you to think about that in your own life as we go on in this story because sometimes we hold back in doing something because we're afraid of what someone else is going to think or say or do to us or about us. And rather, we ought to be motivated just like Jesus was. He wasn't worried what other people were going to say. He wasn't worried what the disciples were going to think about him because he had something more important to do. This woman was more important than all of that because of the gospel. We see in verse 10, follow along with me, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest, knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus, in his message, he offers her living water. He first asked her for a drink. She says, well, how can you do that? You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. You're a man, and I'm a woman. And then Jesus says, well, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. And she looks around, and she says, all right, we're here at this well. She had her pitcher to get her water out. Jesus had nothing with which to draw water. See, this woman only understood a kind of water that required her effort to go and to get. She had to pick a particular time of the day and load up her pitcher, and she had to walk all the way out to the well and dip it down in there, pull it up on a rope, however they did it, put it back on her shoulder, on her head, and walk back to town with her water. And Jesus is standing there without any visible means of drawing water, and he's saying to to her, I'm going to give her water. See, Jesus offers a water that doesn't require work in order to get. Jesus offers a free gift that doesn't require your effort to obtain. Jesus didn't need some outside means to obtain this water because Jesus is the living water. Jesus didn't need a cup, a bowl, a spoon, or some other kind of pitcher or jug to get the water out. Jesus was offering himself to this woman. But this woman only understood a water that she had to work for. And many people that we face and live with and walk around with on a day-to-day basis, they only understand, if you're trying to give me something to benefit me, then you must want something in return. I must have to work for this. But Jesus has already done all the work. That's the message of the gospel. He died so that you didn't have to. He paid for your sin because you couldn't pay for it on your own. Jesus' message only makes sense because of the gospel. As he began to tell her about this, her answer to him then, I'm sorry, then Jesus says, Verse 13, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. The water in the well, you drink of that, you'll be thirsty again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She wanted the water. But the problem was she didn't understand her sin yet. I think there are a lot of people looking for satisfaction, looking for answers, looking for hope, looking for something to fill the void or to numb the pain or to distract them from reality. And that's kind of where this woman was at this point. Jesus had said, if you drink of this water, you never have to thirst again. She goes, hey, that's a good thing. I'd just not be thirsty ever again. But she didn't fully understand his message yet because his message doesn't make sense without the gospel. You see then, after he offered her living water, the second thing about about Jesus' message, he told her about her sin. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, 
I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. Jesus pointed out her sin. Can I tell you, it's uncomfortable to point out somebody else's sin. We can see throughout this whole passage, Jesus was doing it in love. But if we go back to our mission statement, right, that we glorify God by fulfilling the Great Commission, but we do it in the spirit of the Great Commandment, to fulfill the Great Commission is uncomfortable at times. Places and doing things that don't make sense except for the gospel. It means sharing a message that doesn't, always make, doesn't really make sense if you try to take it apart from the gospel. It means telling someone else that they're a sinner. No one wants to be told that they're a sinner. People would much rather you come along and say, you're basically good, you're a pretty good person, but you just need something a little more. But that's actually not the truth. The truth is you're a sinner and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we see how Jesus came about this. He was very kind in his approach. And we know, well, Jesus had the advantage. He had all knowledge. He knew everything about her. Yes. But we still have a responsibility to help people understand their sin. Jesus did that with this woman. And, and the wonderful thing you see about this woman, and I think you'll see too, is you're sharing the gospel with people. As God is at work in their heart, this woman was willing to acknowledge her sin. Jesus even said it. You, you've said well in that you have no husband. She was willing to admit that she had a problem. There are many people today that want to act like there's nothing wrong with them. I, I'm okay. I don't need anything. It's hard to help somebody who doesn't have any problems. Christian, don't pretend like you don't have any problems. That's often the rap that Christianity gets. Well, they just think they're perfect. Stop pretending because you're not. I don't think I'm perfect. And I know deep down you don't think that you are either. But as Christians, if we're more concerned about pretending, putting on the show, we're not helping ourselves or anybody else. Because we've all come short. It's because of Jesus. Too often, well, I got this now. Yeah, Jesus saved me, but now I've got it. No, you don't. Colossians says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. We must continue to live in the strength of the gospel that saved us from our sin. This woman was willing to admit her sin. I'm so thankful that there's no sin that's beyond the reach of the gospel. And Jesus used an even a dramatic illustration for us here in John 4. She didn't just have one husband or two or three or four, five husbands. And now she's with number six, but she wasn't married to him yet. So maybe that made it okay. No, it didn't make it okay. Still sin. But that didn't stop Jesus from loving her. Sometimes we look at people, ah, they're beyond the reach. They're not. The woman at the well wasn't beyond the reach of the gospel Neither are you. Neither is that person that you're thinking of. So what did Jesus do next? He's offered her water. He's helped her understand her sin. In verse 19, we have a bit of a... She, she responds back to this and she kind of changes the subject a little bit. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. If, if you know this about me, you must be a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. I showed you Mount Gerizim on the map. Uh, in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She said, yes, I know I have a problem. I, I've had five husbands, and now I'm on number six. But we worship here, and the Jews worship over there. Sounds like what a lot of people say today, isn't it? Doesn't it? That, okay, I know I've done some things that are bad, but I have my way of getting to God, and you have your way of getting to God, and we all get to God our own way, and that's okay. 
We'll worship him over here. You worship him over there. And often we can get into, we get drawn into those kind of conversations, don't we? Let me show you why you're wrong and why I'm right. And we get down in the weeds and we miss the point. And Jesus takes her right back to the gospel again. Because her problem was a worship problem. But the issue wasn't where she was worshiping. It was who she was worshiping. And our problem today is not, well, they're this religion or this denomination or this or that. It's that they don't know Jesus, don't truly know Him, and don't have a relationship with Him and walk with Him. So Jesus says to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. It's not going to matter if you're in Gerizim or if you're in Jerusalem. He says, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. We know we worship God. You don't know. For salvation is of the Jews, but notice verse 23, but the hour cometh, there's a time coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. This woman was concerned about where she was worshiping and how her worship was different than Jesus' worship. Jesus said the reason it's different, ultimately we all need to worship God. And we worship Him not because we're in Jerusalem and Gerasim, we worship Him in spirit and in truth. What is the truth? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. If that's the truth, we ought to live it, it ought to motivate us, it ought to encourage us and challenge us to live every day for Him because He is the way. If you notice the exchange here, then the woman said to Him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When He has come, He will tell us all things. I know there is a Messiah coming. So now they have this point of common ground. And Jesus said to her, I, that speak unto thee, am he. It took her a long time to get there. It started with the living water. I'll take it if I don't have to drink from this well anymore. And Jesus says, no, you've got to take it from me. It's, I'm the living water. But you've got to understand that you're a sinner. Well, okay, but you worship in Jerusalem and I'll worship over here and we'll be okay. Can't you see this conversation going on? If you've shared the gospel with people regularly, you've been in this kind of conversation before. And some people who don't share the gospel regularly, you've never been in this conversation, you should be in these conversations. But can I encourage you when you feel like, I don't know what I'm going to say, always run to Jesus. It's always about the gospel. Always lift up the Lord, right? Because people will try to get you off on every little tangent and question and disagreement and this and that. Just come back to Jesus because you can't save anybody. It's Jesus that saves. And so she recognizes who he is. So this message only makes sense because of the gospel. Jesus' methods only make sense because of the gospel. Why did he need to go through Samaria? For this woman, for the gospel. I want you to see finally this morning the, the motivation that was taking place in these different people, in Jesus, the woman, the disciples, the rest of the townspeople. Because here in the last portion of the story, we really see all those motivations highlighted for us. Notice first the disciples. Because here Jesus is having this amazing conversation with this woman. He's sharing the gospel with her. She seems like maybe she's ready to receive it. Maybe she just did receive it. I that speak unto thee am he. And then the story changes. Here come the disciples. They just had a good lunch. Hey! And if you read the verses, what does it say? They look at Jesus, and the Bible says they marveled that he talked with the woman. What is Jesus doing over there? While we've been in town eating lunch. Oh, mm, Jesus has been out here at the well with this woman. What's been going on? But notice it says, Yet no man said, What seekest thou? 
or why talkest thou with her? They weren't concerned really with the woman. They weren't concerned with why Jesus was talking to her. They were just concerned that he was talking to her. And Christian, can I encourage you? Don't miss out on what God is doing because you get your head wrapped up around something that has nothing to do with the centrality of the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ in changing lives. There's a lot of things in this world right now that want to keep you preoccupied and distract you from what really matters. Come up and I start arguing with you about who you're voting for and I miss out on giving the gospel. Let's be careful. And I care very deeply about our country and you should too. But there's something even more important than America. The gospel. We all have our pet things, right, that, that we care a lot about. I like to make sure my grass on the edge, that line between my yard and the neighbor's yard, is clearly defined. You know where the fence stops and then the grass goes to the road? That, that grass should be straight. It shouldn't be crooked. You know, it shouldn't be out of line. It should be a nice straight line. That way you can see when I've mowed the grass freshly and he still hasn't caught up yet. You know, I even, sometimes my neighbor doesn't mow his yard as well as I mow mine. And I've trained my boys now to mow my grass. And so now I just come out and check up on them and say, boys, you need to straighten that line up a little bit and make it look good. I like my grass to look nice. I take pride in my good-looking yard and that my flowers are still blooming. And they look nice. And we had family in from Colorado this week, and they said, wow, look at your flowers. They're still blooming. I said, well, I'm sorry. You live in colorful Colorado where the main color is brown. But we live in Texas, and it's green and it's beautiful. And we have flowers even in October. Of course, then they say, we have mountains and snow. Okay, I get it. But we take pride in certain things, don't we? We take pride in our, our vehicles. We, we just got it freshly washed. You know, I just washed my car, and they were doing some work on the neighbor's house, and they were sheetrocking, and they were cutting the sheetrock in the driveway. And all of that sheetrock dust was blowing all over my car. I could have just loaded up and come over there next door and say, what do you think you're doing? But I didn't do that. Because there's something more important than sheetrock dust on my car. The gospel. You know, my, my neighbor, he, he, he might not cut his grass exactly like I cut mine. I may tell him, you need to adjust the height of your lawnmower. You know, it, that way it comes out even to mine. Because I've got the standard set for the street, you know. And you need to come out and get it right. You need to edge like I edge. Those things don't matter as much as the gospel do. Yet sometimes those are, boy, they're high on our list. We drive down the street, boy, I wish she would get out, get out there and paint her house. Look at that thing. It's just taking down the value of the whole neighborhood. It might be an opportunity for the gospel. You never even know. If you were to knock on her door and find out maybe she's, her mom's been in the hospital with cancer treatments and you could go cut her grass for her, you might even get to share the gospel with somebody. Somebody might even get saved. Imagine that. Do you think God works like that? I think he does. But our eyes get off on other things so often, don't they? Jesus' methods didn't make sense to a lot of the people. But it's because he had a more important purpose. His message wouldn't have made sense but for the gospel. And I want you to see his motives and the motives of the other people in this story. Because here come those disciples. They had lunch. It was good. Bellies are full. They got their bread. Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? And in the middle of that, the woman leaves. Have you ever been sharing the gospel with somebody and someone else just comes up and starts having a conversation like, oh, now, can I encourage you? God is big enough. Sometimes we think we're the one that say, you're not going to save them. Only Jesus saves. And the Holy Spirit can continue to work. That being said, I know how that feels. I was teaching junior or, um, vacation Bible school one, one summer. 
and I was giving the gospel to a bunch of fourth through sixth graders. All of a sudden, here comes a big knock at the door, and the snack lady bursts in and says, How many kids in here need snacks? Well, that was the end of that gospel presentation. They all needed snacks more than they needed Jesus right then. At least that's what they thought. I remember thinking, oh, no. What were you thinking? Can you ima- I almost imagine that's a little bit what Jesus is thinking here. These disciples, they're worried about food and filling their bellies. In fact, a few verses later, they're asking Jesus, well, well did you have something to eat? What did you eat? And Jesus says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. His motivation was different. So the disciples here, their their motivation was for themselves, for their own bellies. That's like when you're in a hurry to the church fellowship and you run over somebody because you're trying to get to the front of the line. Just relax. It's okay. Kids, don't fight over the donuts or whatever treats that Mrs. Rembert has left over. It's okay. There's more important things at stake, right? I got to get to the front parking space. I make the visitors park at the street. They can walk. They're late. That's, that's their problem. More important things, right? Let's see how fast we can hit this puddle. We might be able to splash that person over on the sidewalk. Oh, wait, we forgot we have the church sticker on our back bumper. Oh. What is your motivation? What is your motivation? Notice the woman's motivation. The disciples were motivated by their belly. The woman started out motivated by her thirst for water. But if you read the story, you'll notice she never actually got any water in her pitcher because she got a different kind of water. She goes running back to the... It says she leaves her water pot, verse 28. She'd completely forgotten why she came in the first place. Because now she had a much greater motivation, a much higher purpose. She leaves her water pot and she went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Her motivation went from one to physical thirst and now she's motivated by the gospel. And she can't wait to tell her town about it. Oh, her motivation has changed. Jesus here, he goes back to having this conversation with his disciples about food. Verse 31, meantime, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. And he said to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Well, if any man brought him aught to eat, who gave him food? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus says, I am satisfied by, I am motivated by fulfilling the work that God has given for me to do. That's hard to think about, isn't it? Could I really say that? That my meat satisfies me more than going and getting barbecue after church. My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. This week I sent out an email, and some of you probably read it, and there was just sharing with you some of the financial challenges that we're working through. We're trusting the Lord with those things. Can I encourage you, don't give because there's just a, financial challenge we want to get through that no give because the gospel matters what is your meat where do you get satisfied from what what's motivating you why did you get up this morning why did you come this morning why will you go from here and do whatever it is that you're going to do i believe it's not just like well the gospel sometimes and then i gotta do everything else i need to do no for jesus the gospel motivated everything that he had to do And I believe for us, it can and should motivate us to do that as well. So when you go to work, all right, God, I'm earning what I'm earning 
yes, so I can give to support your work, but I'm also here because you're putting me around people that I have the opportunity to show Jesus to and to share Jesus with that might not hear from anybody else. God, you've given me a mission field right here, and I'm going to serve you where I'm at. Then there are some people, well, I don't work anymore. I, I, I love uh, a friend of ours from our former church, Brother Titus. He was in his 90s when we became friends, and he said, my mission field is now the doctor's office waiting room. <laughs> and you know, almost weekly, he emptied out our track rack at church, sharing the gospel with people in hospital or doctor's office waiting rooms. Because he said, by the time you're in your 90s, that's where you spend most of your time. See, the gospel is the motivation for why you're doing what you're doing. He could have laid home and said, well, I'm sick. Those doctors can't help me anyway. Or he could say, well, I'll go and hear what they have to say. They may not be able to help me, but I can help them. Why do you do what you do? See, every situation you're in, when you're on your way home and you have a flat tire, when your car won't start, when some unexpected circumstance comes up, when you're struggling with something, a health need, a financial need, whatever it is, God has put you where He wants you to be because He needs you to go through that Samaria because there's somebody there that needs to hear about Jesus. And it might be a situation, it might be a location, it might be a place. Do you look at those situations and say, yep, I needed to be here today. Yeah, God wanted me to talk to that person today. Brad called me this week and said, I got to share the gospel with a constable he'd been sharing the gospel with before. And this law officer was so intent on hearing the gospel that even when other people came up and needed his help, he said, Brad, you wait here. I'm going to help these people. He said, now tell me what you have to tell me. As Brad shared the gospel, the man looked at him and he said, that's what I need. There are people that need the gospel. And he prayed and trusted Christ as his Savior because that's what he needs. That's what this world needs. That's what this woman needed. And Jesus needed to go through Samaria so that he could meet with her that day because her motivation changed. Her whole life changed. Her life didn't change because now she didn't have to walk out to that well anymore and put up on that picture. Your life's not going to change and that you don't have to go back to school on Monday or go to work or go to the doctor's office or deal with it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about eternal life. But it does change your present life too. Because now you have a whole new purpose. You have a whole new motivation. You have a whole new reason to live. And in that reason and in that purpose and as you live within that motivation, you begin to see God at work in ways that you didn't realize He was directing all along. And all of a sudden you wake up, I never realized that's why God allowed me to be here or to meet this person or to talk to this person or to be in this situation. I think someday we'll get to heaven and look back and say, I'm so thankful for God allowing me to go through the Samarias in my life. And I think as Christians today, we ought to say, Lord, let me be willing to go through Samaria, not avoid the socially difficult places, the physically difficult places, because there's somebody there that needs to hear about you. The woman was motivated by her thirst for water, but her motivation changed because of the gospel. And finally, look at the rest of the people. Look at verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. So many of them trusted Christ because of her testimony. But there were others, it says, verse 40, So when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So when she went to that town proclaiming what had happened to her life, there were some people that just believed right then and there. Isn't that amazing? They heard her testimony and they say, wow, something's changed. I want whatever she has. And they believe right then. Others, ah, we're still not sure. There's always some skeptical ones. So they, but they wanted to hear more, so they went to hear Jesus. And when they heard him, after a couple of days, many more trusted in Christ. 
Not everybody that you share Christ with is going to get saved the first time they hear it. Some of them might need to hear it again and again. Some may believe just because they hear your testimony. Others may need to have a lot more explanation. But either way, the gospel is the motivation. The gospel works. So, in a, I've been working on stuff in our church, making some plans for the coming months and years, thinking about what the Lord has for us, looking back on what God has done and ready to press forward to what is next with the Lord's help. But if we exist to bring glory to God by fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment, then how should this affect everything we do? I'm looking at that as we think about what goes on our calendar, our church calendar. I don't want to just fill it up with stuff, just stuff. I want to put things on there that help us to carry out the gospel. And we can do a better job of that. I'm convinced of it. And with your help, we can all do it better. And during the last few months, as everything's changed up and down, I haven't always been the best one thinking about how we can do a better job of sharing the gospel. And I'm sorry for that, but I'd like your help as we go forward to fulfill this great commission that God's given us to do. Now, God still works, doesn't He? I'm so thankful for the people we have seen trust Christ over the last few months. I'm thankful for the growth that God has brought to our church over the last few months. The last few months have been some of the most incredible growing months in our church that we've ever had. I believe the best is yet to come. But we must live with the right purpose. Why did Jesus go through Samaria? Well, it doesn't seem that complicated when you know the story. It seems quite obvious, doesn't it? But I would ask you as you face things in your life as a country as we go towards this election as a church as we work through challenges and hurdles that we face individuals in your marriages and your families and your work situations whatever it is that you're facing it may not make sense right now why you're having to go through something that looks an awful lot like Samaria but the gospel makes sense of it all if we'll allow that to be our motivation, our purpose in everything we do. And I would ask you this morning to submit your heart to the Lord and say, God, forgive me for my pride and arrogance and frustration about why things aren't going the way I want them to go. And God, help me to live according to your word for the sake of the glory of God as we share the gospel with this world. Because there are people everywhere just like that woman was there at that day at that time. And God, Jesus knew he had an appointment with her. And God has appointments for you too. Let's be faithful to keep them and to give the gospel wherever we go. Father, help us. We thank you for how you meet our needs, how you provide for us, you guide and direct us. But so many times I find myself frustrated discouraged, distracted. And when I step back and consider why, I realize it's because I've taken my eyes off of why you've put us here. And your promises that have promised to sustain us and care for us and provide us along the way. Lord, I'm asking you for help this morning. Help us to be faithful. Lord, you keep allowing things in our life to remind us of the importance of our dependence upon you. You've taken away some of the things that we thought were constant. You've allowed a virus. You've allowed financial struggle. You've allowed political unrest. But Lord, we believe it's because you care about souls and people being saved. Lord, we believe that's why you've left us here. I pray that we would take a hard look at our choices, where we're spending our money, where we're spending our time, where we're spending our influence and other resources that you've given us. And may we consider how those things work towards the furtherance of the gospel. And Lord, if we are busy doing things or if we are putting ourselves into things that do not 
help to point people to Jesus. Lord, help us to consider how we could take that thing and use it to point people to you or redirect us completely out of that thing and back towards a faithful obedience to fulfilling the commission that you've given to us. I thank you for our church and thank you for how you're blessing. Lord, we are here today and in all the situations we are facing because you have blessed. You have guided us to this point. You've led us. You've provided. And Lord, we're here now just looking to see you provide for the next step and the next year and the next thing that you want us to do. But Lord, we know all those things need to be pointed on the message of Jesus Christ. We love you and pray that you bless this time now as we respond to your word in Jesus' name.